Hello, friends. It's that magical time again. Jeff Stuckey, the shaman. I guess we're sticking with it for now. Riding shotgun. Actually, today I'm not riding shotgun mm. because of Greg's little shenanigans in our last podcast. <laughs> so uh, Greg is actually tied up in the back fucking seat, <laughs> and I'm driving this bitch today. So... Uh, how are you, Greg? Well, I was doing good till I found out the parameters of this show. <laughs> what <laughs> you think was going to happen? Do well, you think after you did that shit to me, we'd just gloss over like... Yeah, I'll give you the high points of me, and I'll give you my resume. And yeah, then fuck that, bro. I'm a professional. I will ask stinging <laughs> questions. I'll have you crying before. I, I, I know you can do it, but I'll dodge them. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, so, uh, how's that? Uh, I'm not afraid of you thing working out. Is that still? Oh yeah. What's the shelf life on that? Is it still good? No, no, it's, it's not. <laughs> we have found the point of diminishing return. Now, the good part about it, it was probably the next day after we did the episode where uh, I used it again, and it's, it's it's as though my wife had heard the episode, which she hadn't yet because we hadn't released it. But she said, "Oh yeah, um, that's not working anymore." And it's like, oh, wow. She I mean, just took it right from your hands. like Yes. And and it was good. And I, I tried it one more time right there. I said, oh, yeah? Well, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> and she confirmed. Oh, yeah. yeah that's not working Yeah, anymore. she goes, you better try something else quickly. <laughs> wow. Okay. So what would you, what do we have about a three-week window there? Or is it more oh. frequency? Do we need to measure number of times? Yeah. See, I use it three or four times a day initially. Oh, okay. And so I think it was... That's a, user error right there. I mean, right. you knew that, right? I didn't think it would last more than a day. Oh. And so I thought, okay. well, this Get it is, in while you can. Yeah. Let's just get going with it. Because um, between the two of us, our memory wouldn't be good enough to remember the next day that that was funny or not funny. So... I kept trying it, so it, it probably lasted five or six days. Okay, and, and so but you on, and again with this caveat, you did in fact overuse it. Yes, okay. yeah. So we have to know back that down by twenty percent. Okay. But I have to give credit to my wife for just telling me straight up right there that you've used that enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think we all get that very often. So in a, in our next episode, uh, Greg will most certainly have some sort of algorithm that gives us like a exact right count so that we can account mm -hmm. for frequency and duration of time. Right. Um, and so, so we'll give you more scientific data on that to know, to be able to find that point of diminishing return and then decide for yourself yeah. if it's worth violating it. Or right. Not. And, and give, and I'll show them how to put the margin of safety in there so they can back it down whatever percent they want. Yeah. But look, here's, okay, that's good. <laughs> Uh, here's something exciting I wanted to, to mention to our listeners. Okay. Uh, on June 16th, we're having a Meet the Voices night. So, uh, what the hell's that? Yeah. <laughs> we're inviting our like listeners. Singing? No, no, no. The voices behind the mics. You and oh, I. Oh, see, I didn't even get that at all. The voice, maybe we should add that. Meet the voices behind the mics. Okay. Is that too wordy? It's anyway, way. Never mind. Go, keep going. Okay. <laughs> so, we're inviting our listeners to meet with Jeff and I. And we'll do this more than once. This one is going to be in Evansville, Indiana. And our, our podcast gurus, Justin and Eric, will be there as well. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so everybody will know who really is responsible yeah, for the podcast. Right. And it's going to be bad if all the questions go to them. Like, how do you make those guys sound smart? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So Because oh, we'll be, can't, we can't hide then. We'll just be. That's right. Fucking lie. Did you think this through? No, no, I just thought, hey, there's an open date. <laughs> Let's fill it. I definitely will be good guys who drink and cuss a little that night. Emphasis <laughs> on the drinking part. But anyway, we'll see how Okay, that goes. so uh, there's an added benefit. Anybody that comes gets a pre-release copy of the book, Empathy, Integrity, and Amazing Grapes, <laughs> Stories of Men Who Got It Right. Such a Greg title, but that's cool. Yeah, Jeff is not backing that. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm still undecided. I'm sure there's. I'm sure it's wrought with rich meaning. So. It is. It is. So um, everybody will get a copy before it goes to the public. Cool. Uh, but we are asking our listeners to sign up for it. So get in contact with us somehow. Um, How would they do that? Yep. Facebook at Becoming Man Made Today. They can get on our website, becomingmanmade.com, and there's lots of ways to contact us through that. So just let us know you're interested, 
and uh, and we'll get you signed up for it. June 16th. June 16th. Not far away, so make sure that you get signed up for that. Cool. So uh, he, enough of that. <laughs> so people want to know more about Rocket Man. <laughs> okay. And people really want to know, like, are you a rocket scientist? Yeah, well, so, and so... We'll we'll do some of your childhood shit and all that kind of stuff, um, some of those unhealed wounds. But let, but let's answer that question definitively once and for all. Greg Allen, are you or are you not a rocket scientist? I'll have to say yes, and it's qualified because there's a lot of uh, room in there to say. Well, is it an engineer? Is it a, a did you or did you not participate in the construction of space shuttles? Yes. Yes. I think that makes you a <laughs> <Okay>. rocket scientist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it ain't my field, but I'm pretty sure that makes you a rocket scientist. Right. Okay. Good. So, so how was it? Was that cool? Was that? Oh, it was phenomenal. Um, started out working for the, uh, on the space shuttle project, um, building the external tank, the external fuel tank for the shuttle. Um, so the cool thing was that the project had already started, obviously, I mean, way before, well, when I was born. <laughs> okay, yeah. So by the time I'm getting into it, we're taking all these hand drawings and trying to make some sense out of it to keep this thing going. And it really was pieces of paper where somebody scratched something down and said, hey, go build this because of the, the timeline, you know, to get it all together. Uh, <laughs> no shit. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, hand drawing stuff without a ruler, right? <laughs> without the straight edge or anything. Uh, but it was just amazing that those guys made something out of it, you know, um, those and, guys being you. Well, I mean, I, I mean the initial guys in the 70s okay. <laughs> that that actually ended up with the product. Um, so then I come in later and say, well, how are we going to keep this up? You know, we don't have the guys that knew what this drawing was. So anyway, kind of making sense out of that. And then um, at one point, uh, my boss said, you know, we got all these giant tools that make these things, but we don't know how they work or if they're even stable or whatever, you know, are they going to fall apart? So, uh, me and a few other guys were put together in what they call this little ivory tower <laughs> set apart from other people and said, you go out and do, uh, structural analysis and, you know, functional evaluation of everything out there to make sure this is working and that's going to, not going to kill anybody. Um, so it was pretty high tech stuff. We were the first engineers to be able to use uh, finite element analysis to, uh, analyze tools. Uh, my oh, cool. partner and myself were the always wondered who were the first ones to ever use finite yeah. <laughs> to five and, for, to far far? A lot of our listeners wonder that. So I'll clarify <laughs> for those that really care. Please do. So it was on the, on the PCs, you know, there were mainframes in Houston that had all that information. As a matter of fact, we shut that down once by a, Gosh, our listeners won't remember this, but there used to be cards that instead of programming. Oh, yeah, punch cards, right? Okay, yeah, punch card. Sure. Yeah. So. And I'm, you know, this ain't my bailiwick but yeah i remember the punch card all right so somebody in our group just took a stack of header cards they're called that starts a program you're only supposed to have one of those (laughs) he puts a stack of them in the reader and it shuts down houston (laughs) and they're trying to trace it back like there's 150 programs trying to run and none of them have anything in them it's just all header cards you know and they finally call our office oh yeah we were wondering what happened to all of our header cards like, you know, you can't. Now, was this funny at the time or was it? Oh, like, no. People no. were dying over it. Say, okay, this was like a big deal, right? Listen. Yeah. There, there was an aeronautical engineer in our group. There was four of us. I was the mechanical engineer. And uh, and he was like, this is going to ruin my career, you know? <laughs> and I, I said, no, no one knows the name. Oh, wait. I guess. Can we edit that out? So, <laughs> <laughs> so your name was on all 104 whatever cards. But anyway, so that was fun. So I did that for several years and then uh, learned a lot. And then when the shuttle blew up, uh, what was that, in 86? On your birthday, Yeah, it actually was on my birthday. Yeah. Um, I remember they're eating, sitting there eating pizza, Taroni's Pizza, my favorite pizza, celebrating my birthday. Oh, yeah. So so I guess the people in charge said, well, we need new rocket motors because that's what blew up. You know, I mean, actually the tank blew up, but the rocket motors... (laughs) shot fire into them so that uh, you know yeah. they weren't meant to take that <laughs> so um so yeah i was moved over to to the rocket motor program to actually make uh advanced 
rocket motors design a way that hadn't been done before so they didn't have uh, as many bolted joints it was mostly welded joints you know we're probably getting too deep into this but it was a lot of fun you know well i i don't i mean i think we've we've gotten to a, to a depth that resoundingly answers the question are you or are you not a <laughs> rocket scientist and i think the fact that most of us have no fucking clue what you've been talking about for the last five minutes validates that okay, so the the, right. the final answer is yes indeed okay all now right. when i think of greg allen there's two theme songs that play in my head and i'm always conflicted about which one to go with because the one is rocket man by elton john but the other one is down on the bayou by dave matthews mm-hmm. and uh so you're not from these parts. Give us uh, give us some background on where you hail from and what growing up was like for you. So I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Do you know the song? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Of course you do. Like. <laughs> and I I thought that was the whole world. You know I didn't. I mean Shreveport, which is northern Louisiana. We thought those were Yankees. You know it's like okay they're still in the state but they're northerners because they don't know nothing about the Bayou down here. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, driving this far north into Midwest <laughs> the United States was, was killer for me. I'm thinking, I hope I can understand these idiots, you know, <laughs> which I found out I could, but they couldn't understand me. <laughs> uh, was that true? Did you speak? Oh, absolutely. Two things that had, yeah. I don't know if it's Louisianian or French or whatever, you yeah, know, okay. Creole. Um, two things had to change, uh, was my, my, I don't know how I speak, you know, whatever, the, whatever mm-hmm. you call that, your dialect, you know. So that had to change just so that I could be understood. And uh, and the other thing was just the speed of things. In the South, you just don't get to moving too fast. You know, it's, it's going so, like ceiling fans even, they know the idea is just to slowly, you should be able to see the dadgum fan, you know. It just moves around slinging hot air around. That's all it's supposed to do. You know, you come here and the, the fan is turned backwards for one thing, and it's just spinning like heck, you know. Uh, but I found that out in the office. I'd be walking down the hall, and there'd be people behind me <laughs> trying to get around me. And I'm like, what, was there a fire or something? <laughs> so I, I learned if there's somebody behind me, I just stand sideways in the hall so they can get by because apparently they were in a hurry. And, and, and people would walk into my office, and they, start, they were talking when they're in the hall with their question. And they get in, they're still talking, and then they sit down, and their question is finished. And so I set down my pencil and turn around and go, okay, what you want? And they're like, I asked now, you. Is that what you, what you want? Would that be like, is oh, that Louisiana? Oh, yeah, what you want. What you want. Yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, and the other they'd give you've, me. you've kept all of these isms from me. Oh, well. You've, you've given me none, man. <laughs> anyway, keep going. What you want. I know. And the, well, the first thing they teased me about, I said, what time is the meeting? And you go, what? <laughs> Time's a meeting. Time's I mean, a meeting. I know. So, so it's not actually a sentence. It's all one word. Time's a meeting. Yeah. Why Why are you going to take, spread it all out? What time is the meeting? <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. Man. Oh, yeah. So I had to get used to that. So I had a rule. You know, if you're behind me in the hall, let me know. I'll get out of your way. If you have a question, come into my office, sit, let me acknowledge that you're there, and then start the question. And slow down. into this, man. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so it was a culture shock cool. for so me. So what was growing up like? Yeah, it was really good um, from everything I hear from pretty much everyone I've talked to. It was pretty uneventful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't have any stories of, of trauma. You know, it was like, wow, this just went along pretty smooth, as my daughters would say, you know, a sheltered kind of an environment, um, which I, you know, I would think that's a good thing. You know, there, there are times I can point back to and say, well, that was a, a milestone or a turning point or some revelation, but none of it was due to, um, you know, a trauma causing event, you know? So yeah, it was, it was pretty easy going, you know, we had our camp <laughs> go out to that and sit in a, well, this is another thing. We had a bateau. Do you know what that is? Not a fucking clue. I know. That's something people don't know. It, it's a fishing boat. You know, it, it's a canoe with a flat bottom. 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, you could call it a bass boat, but that wasn't a thing back then. If uh. Fishing, you don't need a 70 mile an hour bass boat in Louisiana because the fish there, they don't move that fast. So. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a waste of resources. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, and then you might, the, the beer cooler might fall out if you get up to oh, that yeah, speed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Okay, got and, it. Yeah. And bateaus usually only had like a seven and a half horsepower. So, <laughs> Dude, was, I'm feeling this way of life. <laughs> Yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it was it was good. It was easy. Um, I had a lot of positive influence in my life, you know, with the two parents and the four grandparents and aunts and uncles and stuff that seemed to be, I, I would say, normal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I guess somebody that was there might disagree. <laughs> but, and actually, um, there's a few stories in the book uh, that, that talk about that, you know, growing up in the South. Uh, that that time, it's not like um, the whole world. Well, it's not like Louisiana caught up with the the speed that the world was changing. Right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that was good. Um, and actually, I, I went to college at LSU. Right. Uh, and, and knowing you wanted to be a rocket man or not was uh, that? knowing I wanted to be an engineer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and uh, but the, the neat thing there wasn't. Well, part of it was the learning, but part of it was the socialization. Because I was always good at hiding, you know, just being the person that nobody can make fun of because I didn't do anything that they can make fun of yep. about. Yeah, so I'm sure you have a, a name for that, but we, I, I can't I call afford. it the Greg Allen syndrome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I know this about you, my friend. Okay. So, uh, so I did a pretty good job of hiding through high school, hiding through my first semester of college, which was actually summer school. I started right away um, the day after I graduated. <laughs> Very uh, anti-Louisiana. Like you got in a hurry there. Huh? It, it, it was the safest place. If I could get in the classroom and sit down and have somebody else talking that I'm paying to talk, it's like, what could be safer than that? Go Okay. Yeah. So um, here's the extent of my uh, personal or social interaction for college my first semester. <laughs> so where I would park my car, because we live seven miles from campus, so that's you know, where I was going to go, and I lived at home. And uh, I would walk in, and I would pa- uh, pass this gal. She was leaving a class. I was going in for a class. And we would say hi. And we did that for how many days that this semester was. I never met her. I never Nothing like, hey, I'm Greg. Like, nothing, nothing. Uh, I mean, it got, it got pretty deep after a while, like, how are you doing? Oh, wow, but, you guys. But yeah, not, once you went to the deep end. But cool. no waiting for an answer. You know, it's like, you know. Uh, fine. How are you? Yeah. And there, no pausing in the steps, you know, Got just it. keep going. Yes, um, yes. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm meeting people. <laughs> this college is big. Uh, nope. I didn't meet anybody in the class, you know, didn't, it was just crazy. You but just it, found your seat and like stay in my lane and. Oh, it was great. But it all changed when, so there's, you know, a thousand kids on campus. So when 20,000 show up <laughs> in September, which is when school started back then. Bro. I know. It was messy. Warp speed, huh? Yeah. And then I, I did the thing, you know, going to Rush and the fraternity. Yeah. And uh, I thought, okay, I think. Why I, did you do that? That's interesting that you did that. Yeah, it is. Um, a friend of mine just said, well, my one friend from high school that I knew at college, he goes, hey, come to this thing with me. I'm not going by myself. My brother's in it and I have to go. It's like, okay, I'll, All right. I'll go. Yeah, that makes sense. And I saw some hiding places in the fraternity. I said, well, okay, I could be in this and not have to be in front of things, you know. When you were doing that, like the the hiding, was that a conscious thing or was that just your survival oh, mechanism at the time? Yeah, that's just how I operated. That's just how it's looking back, you see it more as, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, my, my first semester as a pledge, you know, they would say, you got to get, you know, hang around the house more, meet people. I would walk into the the foyer of the fraternity house and immediately turn left. All the people were to the right in the big living room. I'd turn left. They had a small library. I'd go in there. I'd hide out and I'd study all day. (laughs) So I might meet two or three other people that were either, you know, very much uh, wanting to study or hiding like I was (laughs) now that I think about it. Uh, Which is funny because in fact, it's not hiding. You're so high on introversion, you know, that, for you to go in and for you to turn right and go into the oh, crowded room, yeah. dude would just, I can't send do you into complete system overload. Yeah. And that's like we mentioned, um, we went to the same church for a while, you yeah. and I, and 
going into that gym and seeing two or 300 people. Dude, I'm an extrovert and that shit stressed me the fuck uh, out. So for you to be in there. I couldn't do it. I, you know, I don't know. And if, that's once you be found sobriety. I mean, there you couldn't even drink to cope with that. Yeah. I even found ways, <laughs> and I didn't give this away until I'll say this now, but I wouldn't right. have told it back then. I could, I, there's an exit from the church sanctuary. You could walk around the gym on the outside through the parking lot and get into the classrooms on the other end of the building. Oh, yeah. So you could bypass. Damn, you know, I wish I'd have known about that. Oh, yeah. And I used to sit out there until it was time for class <laughs> and yeah. then walk in. And in one of the classes, I was leading it. You know, so I would I would walk in, say good morning, and then start the class. <laughs> so, at the time, I'm assuming you did not process it through the framework of I'm very high on introversion. Yeah, I wouldn't have known that to say that. So yeah. then, how did you process it? Like, what 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 narrative did you tell yourself about yourself yeah. with regard to that? Yeah, well, I was thinking I had it that I had it close to right. I knew I didn't have it just right, but I, I must be the, I've got something right here. And all these people that want to talk about nothing, they don't, they don't have it right. There's something that, that wrong with them to where they just want to talk about gibberish, oh, okay. you know? <laughs> gibberish. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Let's, the uh, socially acceptable term for that is small talk. But sm- no, <laughs> fuck that small talk. <laughs> gibberish. Gibberish. <laughs> is that a Southern term or is that just a no, I think that's, wrong term? No, that's universal. Yeah, okay. Can go with that. Yeah, so I'm like, I'll sit in the church and listen to a pastor talk about important stuff. I'll walk around through the parking lot, <laughs> go to a classroom. the gibberish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I still can't do it, you know? I mean, I, I love... Well, you can't. No. You, it's like, I'm terrified of snakes. <laughs> I mean, I squeal and like, you seem to be more terrified of small talk than I am terrified of snakes. Yeah. Well, yes, but explain how that um, relates to the fact that I love to talk to somebody like one on one, you know, maybe two people, where we can uh, I can find out something about them. You know, I mean, well, it's such a common misconception that extroverts are social and introverts are not social. Uh, human beings are social beings. The question is, how do they socialize? Extroverts talk to a fucking wall. You know, they just <laughs> and interjection and talking over the top of each other, all of that kind of thing is very energizing, replenishing for them. Introverts are just as social, but they, they have fewer, deeper relationships. An introvert only needs two or three friends that they have deep, familiar bonds Mm -hmm. with. And so their socialization, the socialization that replenishes them comes from those deep familiar bonds. Okay. So that's why all the talking in the gym looks like nonsense because right. it's not doing anything yeah, for it's me. Like, for you, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher, right? It's just wah, yeah. wah, 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 wah. And for the extrovert, it's, it's a replenishing uh, sort of thing. Yeah. But to your point, small talk has a very short value valuable shelf life you know it's like at some point we do have to move beyond the small yeah, talk and yeah. have the deeper more meaningful conversations and that's one of the things that make ex- introverts such re- great communicators hmm. uh, is that they listen more than they talk mm-hmm. and they use the fewest number of necessary words and for me that's always been you know me being extroverted you being introverted that's always been what's so useful in you and I's communication is that y- you don't waste words. Mm-hmm. Every word that you say has the exact amount of right meaning in that. Anyway, so yeah. you and I have a bond from our childhood. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the the pudgy overweight part. <laughs> or fat kid, whichever yeah. way you want to. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, my nickname was Two-Ton. <laughs> oh shit yeah it's amazing you know what i mean like I, I i shot up initially you know where it's like maybe when you're supposed to weigh 50 or 60 pounds i was like 120 <laughs> and it and it wasn't it wasn't a, a you know a fatness kind of thing it was just like wow you're bigger than most people not necessarily taller just like why are you like that <laughs> so did that have any effects on you just in kind of your formation of self I oh mean, 
Yeah, and unfortunately, looking back, it was self-imposed, you know, because so I thought people viewed me like that, but it was just a a minor teasing, you know, and I could have got past it, but I didn't. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm this bigger guy that that doesn't fit certain other models, you know, that you need to be look a certain way. And I kind of kept that up, even though I started trimming, you know, as I got, as, as the, the height took off, you know, but still it was kind of funny because when I entered college, uh, well, when I first started living in the fraternity house, I still had this mindset that, you know, I'm two ton, you know, <laughs> whatever. And so, uh, at the, at dinner time, you know, everybody had certain tables they would sit at, you know? And so I went and as my first semester there, I went to sit with the, what they call the round boy table, you know, because those guys always got, second helpings first <laughs> and there was no criticism about how much you're eating or just enjoying it you know that was the those were the rules of the table we are the round boys oh yeah yeah i mean and it, they were proud to be there it wasn't like hey you're you're overweight you go sit over there it was like oh here's where we're sitting you know fuckers yeah get your little skinny ass away from our round boys table yeah so i got kicked out very quickly no shit. yeah they go you can't sit here it's like, well, why not? You know, I mean, I can't sit with the athletic guys. I can't sit with the smart guys, you know, and the drunk guys. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen over there. That's what makes them awesome. Yeah. So I don't know where I landed, probably with the introverts sitting yeah, outside. excommunicated <laughs> from the round boys table. Yeah. And, uh, and the other thing that helped out, which I think Justin's going to post this on Facebook, is my uh, meal plan for my second year in college was what uh, we called a hot dogger. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you say hot dogger? That's right, that's right. <laughs> I don't think that they actually make them anymore, but essentially it's a, a, a chunk of plastic with little metal barbs sticking out of it. And you take a hot dog and poke it onto each end of it. So the hot dog, you know, makes the arc between the two pieces of metal. And then you plug the thing in. <laughs> So, so it shorts out, <laughs> the, you know, the electrical current. And now all the, the hot dog, since it's got so much water in it, it builds up the heat and it cooks. And you shock yourself or? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, you got to turn the dang thing <laughs> off before you take the hot dog out. <laughs> <So> it, uh, <laughs> dude, that's so many questions. I don't I know. Dog da- so how many hot dogs did you eat? Like, yeah. Oh, well, you know, it, the whole semester that was my meal plan the hot dogger and every once in a while i got some hot dog buns you know to go with it <laughs> so uh, We're, we are absolutely devoting an entire episode to this <laughs> greg allen and the hot dogger wow any yeah. other experiences in college that uh shaped you traumatized uh, you yeah well you know to, to tie a loose end on the the self-imposed um round boy idea in high school i remember meeting up with some girls uh as a senior in college that were in my high school you know and we had a great time together you know and they go well we wish we would have known you in high school you know and i'm thinking no i was the guy hiding in the back you know but it's like i could have been part of that social kind of thing i still would have only wanted to do it in a contained setting i wouldn't want to do it with 30 or 40 people around but um but that that helped me think Oh, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not that guy. Uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, there were experiences living in the fraternity house with the fact that we'd invite the sororities over twice a week. You know, I guess they do that on all campuses, mixers or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought, wow, these things are going well. I don't have to stand in the corner, you know. I could just not have meaning maybe it was because it was girls <laughs> and they were more willing sure. to not need to be the drunk guy in the center of the room getting all the attention uh so so yeah that worked out so that kind of changed my um you know my outlook my socialization you know it's still small numbers but i was no longer afraid like oh can i go up and talk to this young lady you know it it seemed to work um so i kept doing it <laughs> ladies dig me and i dig ladies and- <laughs> yeah so that worked out in college. An appropriate time to bring in your relationship with alcohol? Okay, yeah, because actually that's where it started. Is this okay? In college. Um, so I, 
I, I figured going into college, I had three rules <laughs> of how to conduct myself. Uh, no drugs, no alcohol, and no fornication. And so that wasn't... Is that <laughs> is that in your mind you thought of it that way, no fornication? No, or? I didn't have that word then. Yeah. Okay. God, that's, were you, and that was religious in um, its you origins? Know, there there might have been some roots in that. Uh, it was, you know, part of my parents, you know, just showing me a, a right way to do it, maybe making suggestions but not making rules. But then I saw how people had gone down the wrong path with those things, and I thought, okay. well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid that, you know. Um, and so th- it didn't last real long, you know, uh, I mean, the drinking, as soon as the fraternity thing started, it's like, oh, that's what this is. I'm going to drink. (laughs) Yeah. When I came for the rush, you know, you showed me the library. You showed me all the awards you had. (laughs) You introduced me to some nice guys. And then I show up for what pledge night or whatever the first night is, you know, and it's like, okay, there's, there's this like giant swimming pool thing made out of galvanized metal full of ice and beer. And they go, sit in here, all the pledges in here, you know, which you know, we wouldn't all fit. But we're sitting in a big bucket of ice, you know. And so it's like, oh, I guess I'll have a beer, you know. <laughs> that was your uh, first beer? Yeah. It, it probably wasn't as uh, difficult as then because I didn't have the money to buy beer. So if there was a fraternity event, I would drink. And it, I want to say it didn't cause problems because, you know, what what – problem does it cause you know you drink you're in the fraternity house you go to sleep you get up you go to class right you know you weren't expected to do anything else um and it was limited to just those times there were there was free alcohol i'll say um but the problem started um when i started working and making money and it's like okay there's there's not i mean there's more money here and i can buy alcohol and so it was still uh, there was still limits to it and it kind of kept it into place um until actually I moved to the Midwest <laughs> and then there was more money uh, and there was, um, I don't know, less activities. I guess maybe I knew less people to do stuff with. And then it's like, okay, the money or the drinking doesn't stop just because I run out of money. I mean, there's no, I don't want to say there's no limit to the money, but there was certainly enough money to buy alcohol. So did you, so you went from college to the Midwest? Uh, well, I worked 10 years in New Orleans, you know. On, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was my... I moved from there to here. So then the drinking, the 10 years there, nominal, was not? Yeah. Okay. It, it was a part of it, but it, it wasn't a, an issue. Um, but, yeah, here, uh, you know, I end up hanging out with people that they just drank all the time, and it's I don't need to drink all the time with them, but when I did drink with them, there wasn't an end to it, you know, uh, until one time we ended up in a little square cell, you know, where they said, we're going to let you sit here for four hours <laughs> and then you get to go home and then the judge will call you when you need to talk to him. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> how, how did you end up in the square cell? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, well, I was pulling over, getting some gas and uh, the policeman said, have you been drinking? I said, I'm getting gas here. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we talked about that a little while and he goes, why don't you just come with me? I said, sure, you know, what could go wrong here? <laughs> So, um, so yeah, that, that, that was a, a turning point in my life, you know, cause I'm thinking, well, yeah, to make it worse. So there was a, a young lady that I met at the bar and she happened to be in the car too. Well, she had drugs in her purse. So when the cop comes up, she puts it under my seat in the car. And I didn't know this. I mean, I don't, I still, that's one rule I kept. I haven't done drugs. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so they wanted to impound my car. You know, and I just bought it, you know, a brand new uh, Nissan 300ZX the second year they made them. It's like, oh. Uh, oh, yeah, that, you had that car when we met. That thing was badass. Yeah. And I remember telling the police, you're not taking my car. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, no, that's true. I said, well, I'm holding you responsible. You know, this, you know, and it's like, well, I must have been drunk <laughs> to be saying all that stuff. And so he goes, okay, well, somebody here can take it home that is not drunk. So they took it, you know. And so anyway, the next day, so I did spend some time there in the little box. The next day, I'm cleaning out my car, and I find this under the seat, you know. And I'm like, if they'd have taken my car and impounded it and searched it on if they do that, but they'd have found that, then I'm charged for drugs that I, that weren't mine that I never have done, you know. So I thought, something needs to change here. You know, something's got to change. And I, I'm not doing a good job of running my life. And I thought I was 
I thought I had the capacity to do that. Um, so during that time, you know, I quit drinking and, uh, and I started going to church. Um, not, not like, well, I'm going to go to church. Like that's the thing. I mean, I was reading scripture and trying to find out more about a relationship with Jesus. Just on your own or how did, was yeah, that on my own, just, I'm going to try this Bible thing. Yeah. And, um, actually I started that while I was still drinking. (laughs) And I remember when I said, I'm going to quit drinking, I would still buy that non-alcoholic beer and drink that, you know, while I'm studying my Bible. And at some point I'm thinking, okay, this is just, I'm doing something not right here. It's like drinking decaf coffee. I mean, (laughs) anyway. Uh, yeah. So the cool thing is, is the whole, um, uh, DUI incident happened in the context of a work party. So everybody at work knew about it. And so I didn't go back to work for a couple of weeks. I worked at night, you know, and this was before there was remote working. (laughs) I actually would go into the office and, uh, and finally one guy said, one of the older guys says, you got to come back. We're just going to rib you for a day or two. Then it'll be over. You're just putting this off, you know? And so I said, all right, I'll come back, you know? (laughs) But uh, yeah, I was surprised to find that um, there were a group of guys at work that had no criticism for um, the consequences, I'd say, of what I'd gotten myself into. And they invited me to a Bible study. And I was amazed at two things. One is they weren't ribbing me or criticizing me, but they shut down any excuse. You know, when I started saying, well, you know, this only happened because of this. and But they were like, no, it happened because of this. You know, the honest truth was you sat there, you drank, you got in a car. You know, there's, and it's like, okay, thanks, you know. <laughs> Uh, and I remember bringing up a couple of things, and it's like, well, these guys are honest, but I, I know they love me. You know, I know they care for me. Um, so I said, I need to, to jump into that uh, and, and see what, what that's about. And, uh, and actually, one day at work, I used to get to work early to uh, read my Bible and see if I could make sense out of it. And um, one of the Christians there at work uh, came from you know, came by me and said, uh, so <laughs> he said, so what do you think about the Bible? I said, I like it, you know, it, and Jesus seems really smart and I can pretty much buy all this stuff. Not that I'm comparing myself to, to him or any of these words, but, uh, but except the part where he claims to be God, I said, that kind of messes the whole thing up. <laughs> and looking back on it, I'm thinking it's because I wanted to be God, <laughs> you know, and so it's like, how can Jesus say he's God and how can I submit to all this? And, and the, the gentleman said, uh, he goes, oh yeah, yeah, that, that's the problem. You know, you got to decide right now, either uh, he's, a, he's telling the truth and he is God um, because he knows he is and he is, or he knows he's not. <laughs> but he's saying he is, in which case he's a liar, or he's saying he is and he's not, in which case he's crazy. And you just got, it's one of those three you got to pick. And with my engineering type mind, that really struck me. You know, it's like, oh yeah, this day can't end without making that decision. You know, either Jesus is crazy, he's a liar, or he's right, you know, and he is God. So I sorted it out that day uh, in my mind. I didn't change any facts that were already out there. <laughs> yeah, and then so from that day forward, it was like, okay, we're going to work with this premise. <laughs> and, uh, and that seemed to work well, you know, as far as being the, the guiding point of my life. Uh, and, it w- and it introduced me to your mom who um, had started the inner city ministry. Like mm-hmm. uh, it might have been the one you mentioned earlier. And so that, that was another turning point in my life where it's like, okay, so I've done all this work, uh, building spaceships. It was a lot of fun, you know, but there are people that I can maybe help just with a small amount of help and, and it can make a big difference to them. So I, I started tutoring, you know, it's funny because when I met you, you were one, you had that Nissan, which was just <laughs> at that time, man, that motherfucker was just <laughs> mm-hmm. badass, mm-hmm. and you were retired. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, how the fuck old are you, man? Like, what? I mean, uh, yeah. what are you? You're retired. Like, what? And I remember always thinking, like, who the fuck is this dude? <laughs> like, what? Not from just from a pure curiosity. Yeah, like, yeah. okay, you're retired and you drive a badass car. Cause I don't know. Yeah. Do you, what? I don't, I, what, would I have been in my early twenties when we met or even younger than that? 
Yeah, no, older. You were married. <clears throat> That's and, when we first met. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. that was still was like yeah. And then thinking like, what the fuck is he? <laughs> and then the other thing that was so weird was you wouldn't speed. Oh, that was funny. Yeah. You were like hardcore on that shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, whatever that was. Are you still abide by that? Or are you? For the most part, you know, just to keep. Well, you're old now, but is yeah. it? <laughs> just to keep peace in the, with everybody else in the vehicle. You know, I'll, I'll shade it up a few miles per hour. But yeah, back then I'm thinking if that's the speed limit, then that's what we ought to keep, you know. But here was my justification, All right. and I, I got to explain this to the pastor and his wife during premarital counseling. Is that what you call it, premarital counseling? Yeah. Uh, if that's counseling before you get married, then I'd call it premarital counseling. That's what it is. Okay. Um, so somehow that I, this didn't come up as part of the counseling, but just as part of a dinner, the the pastor said, "Well, you know, you're allowed to go five miles over the speed limit." I said, well, how do you get that? I mean, I don't see a plus or minus five on the on the speed limit sign. Maybe I'm not looking close enough. But he goes, well, no, you know, they won't give you a ticket. I said, oh, well, that changes everything. That's a fucking conversation that you had with a... The pastor and his wife, but it gets worse. He says, because Jesus is not God, I am God. <laughs> Would you just stop on that? Okay. My bad. Okay, thank you. Your story. I so uh, he goes, well, yeah, you know, you get 5% or whatever that turned out to be. And um, I said, well, hold on a minute. You know, if we're allowed 5% on rules, because by then I had been uh, seven years celibate, you know, uh, when I became a believer. What, what does celibate mean? <laughs> that's a, that's funny that you would say that. <laughs> it means no sex, right? Yes, yes. Oh, seven <laughs> years. <laughs> Whoa. So, <laughs> we will also have another podcast on that, but keep going. Okay, all right. And I didn't date during that time either, but that's a whole another thing, you know. So anyway, so here I am, seven years into the celibacy, <laughs> and the pastor's telling me, you get 5% on the rules. That's how I heard that. So I told him, you know, and his wife, I said, well, if I get 5%, I'm not going to use it on getting somewhere faster. I'm going to use it on fornication. Hell yes. I want my 5% right there. I don't know how much 5% will get me, but it's more than I got right now. Right. <laughs> and uh, so there was a bit of a pause during that conversation. You know, <laughs> Did he regroup or did he just go on to the next topic? I, I think I think his, I think he didn't say anything and his wife says, If I got 5%, <laughs> I'm cashing that shit in on sex. I don't fucking care that much about speeding. Right. Because I'm from Louisiana and I don't really want to speed anyway. <laughs> That's right. What was the point? <laughs> I got a fast or a good looking car so I could look good in it. If you're going fast, you know. Nobody can see you, right? Yeah. So I don't know how we got off onto that, but. Yeah, I'm <laughs> lost in the weeds too. And I've got 10,000 <laughs> other questions. Uh, so you were in premarital counseling. So, um, so I guess, okay, uh, I'll back up just a little bit because it was, seems like a wild divergence from being working on space shuttles mm -hmm. to, uh, again, the verbiage at the time, I think, was Christian community development. And mm -hmm. that's where you redirected your yeah. vocational focus, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So to the retired part you mentioned was pretty neat because when uh, NASA shut down that the advanced solid rocket motors we were building, they said, we're just going to do it this other way. It's cheaper. <laughs> Not as advanced, but, you know, so what? It won't blow up. Still get us there, huh? Yeah. Um, so when they shut it down, I, I stayed on to shut the plant down, and um, they needed an engineer on site. So I go, what the heck? I'll do this. And the day got, kept getting shorter, where I'd get in later, I'd leave earlier, take a longer lunch, because it was just me and two other guys in this giant facility for making rocket motors, you know? <laughs> And, uh, and one of the guys was an accountant, a young kid, um, not a Christian, and he said to me, he goes, well, you know, uh, you Christians ought to be honest, and if you're coming in here and getting paid pretty well for working eight hours, and I only see you working two or three a day. And uh, Smack down. I know. I said, wow. Well, and then you said, no, I get 5%. <laughs> and I'm not using mine on speeding. Right. I'm fucking the man yeah. with my 5%. Well. <laughs> No, just thank you, but no. Oh, my bad. Uh, I said... Well, you weren't fornicating. You might as well use it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that 5% really was legit. I don't think we get to apply that. But Pastor said it. Yeah. 
So anyway, so the next day I turned in my resignation. So if I'm speeding, okay. All right. And I know that I'm, it's, it's 60 miles per hour. I know that it's that and mm-hmm. I'm going 10 over mm-hmm. and I get a ticket and I'm like, eh, like cause and effect. I speed, yeah. I get a ticket, I pay the ticket. Am I good with the big guy upstairs or have I disappointed him? Yeah. You know what? He might not care. I'm sorry to tell you that. Seems like <laughs> if he does, like, I mean, if that's on his radar screen, anyway, back to you. <laughs> we'll anyway, solve your guy stuff guy calls later. you out because you're not fucking putting a full day in. Yeah. So I resigned the next day. It's like, okay. You're <laughs> I said, you're right. I'm stealing money. You know? So I quit. And then he goes off and he goes, you idiot, you had it made here. All you got to do is drive in, sit here for a few hours and drive home. And now you quit. Now I think less of you. <laughs> it's like, no offense, bro. I got to side with him. I know. But see, that started the whole retirement and Sabbath kind of thing. So every seven years, I would take at least a year off. And, and, and that, that was what I called my pseudo practice retirement. So pseudo at age... Yeah, so at age 32, I'm retired. I got enough money to live, you know, a couple of years, mm-hmm. and, and I, everything was paid off. I had the car, you know, the house, hot tub. <laughs> I didn't need any cash. You had the essentials, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you didn't drink. Yeah, that's right. So what did you need cash yeah, for anyway? Fucking, wow, <laughs> exciting life you had. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, that's probably why you were wondering who the heck is this guy? Retired at 32, driving a nice car. <laughs> it, it, it was, uh, shall we say, the conundrum? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, okay, you're driving that car. You aren't using it to get laid. <laughs> like, what do you do in your hot tub, bro? Like, just lots of questions yeah, that are like, yeah, yeah. It, it, and it was like a, it was almost like this, like, <clears throat> I think that dude's Gandhi. Like, <laughs> But he has some inconsistency with, with his Gandhi esqueness. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep paying attention because I don't have a car like that. I ain't, I don't take one year off every seven years, so I definitely have some lessons to learn from this guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> What's neat is is when I met you, I, I felt some of those same things. It's like, man, every once in a while, Jeff says something that's like. How did he cut that deep into all this stuff, you know, and give me something important? And it was, you know, it was like, I remember that from those days. Um, so, yeah, my, my stepping into the um, Christian community development or helping out the inner city, it, it kind of went in, in three stages. When you met me, I was in the I'm, I, what I called intentional loitering. <laughs> I was just hanging out, being one of the guys. I know that's hard to believe, but that's what I was trying to do. No, I have visual evidence because I was I was around those days, and one of the primary mechanisms of your loitering, or at least what appeared mm-hmm. to be to me, was um, you in the weight room. <laughs> yeah. And tell me if this is right. I remember the guy's name as Chester. Is yeah. that right? Yep. Chet. Mm-hmm. Huge. Gigantic. Fucking terrifying dude Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. mammoth kindest Mm -hmm. person yeah yeah um i can't imagine what would happen if you piss that dude off but just a fucking beast Mm -hmm. and and i think there were a couple of other guys yeah but chet as you call him right Mm -hmm. i mean he just was so fucking huge Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh to see you two juxtaposition Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like (laughs) And it, I, it seems like he used to work out like in like army surplus pants yep. or something like yep. that. And yep. you kind of adopted the yep. same workouts, yep. Yep. clothing and all of that shit. Um, yeah. So our listeners need to know that when you say hanging out, like this was, this was an, uh, I, I don't know if you can visually create this in your mind, uh, but it was fascinating to observe mm-hmm. firsthand. Yeah, and and I didn't drive the Nissan to the place. I bought an old Blazer <laughs> that smoked, you know. <laughs> so that's what I would drive there or, or walk, you know, because I lived there in downtown anyway. Um, and so I wore the same stuff. I bought me some work boots, you know, got them dirty a little bit before I brought them in. <laughs> 
and uh, and eventually just felt like one of the gang, you know. Uh, and and the neat thing there was what they called the um, the three fifteen bench, so it had two um, bench presses there. I mean, this was a fully, this was a, actually a Gold's gym that had gone out of business. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. It was like yeah. a fully equipped gym. Yeah, and uh, very few machines, just dead wa- or free weights everywhere. Free weights, yeah. yeah. And um, and so on this bench, if you couldn't put 345s on each side, you couldn't work out there. That was the rule. Oh. Yeah. So that was the price of admission. Yeah. Well, to be on that bench, you got to be able to at least yeah. press 315. Yeah. Oh. So here's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you already alluded to it. So, uh, yeah, so I'm working out with, with Chet and Rob, and they can both do 315. And at the time, I could actually bench press maybe 290, you know. No shit? Yeah, yeah. 295 Fuck. was the max. I know. Dude, I but, was over here judging you like, no way he ever, but you got pretty fucking close to being uh, yeah, on that bench. Yeah, yeah, But the thing is, when a new guy would come in, and 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 so I, I was able to, I had a waiver for that bench, you know. But when a new guy would come in and try to work out there, they, they would say, no, you can't work out there. It's this 315 bench. You start over there, you know. It's like, and I didn't say that. They would say it because right. that was their rules. It was a, yeah, it was their rules. And, um. So it's my turn, you know, and the new guy, whoever the new guy was, he's watching to see, well, is this guy going to do it? Yeah, so Chet would spot me, you know. So I'm doing, I'm probably getting up 275 of it, (laughs) and he's just touching it with his fingers to get the rest of the way. and But doing that for me, you know, so that I have some credibility there. Yeah, because they taught me all kinds of things about, you know, living in the inner city and what to do and not to do. And I remember one of their tests was uh, uh, when I'm saying, hey, Greg, would you, would you take that bag and bring it to that guy over there? You know, I, I need you to move that bag for me. And I go, okay. And I pick it up and, and they start yelling, no, come back here. First of all, you never touch somebody else's bag. You never go take it to somebody you don't know. <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> that was just one of the, and then one time I'm watching them there. We had a, basketball courts there i'm watching kids play basketball and there's a coat sitting next to me on the bench i move it over and this knife falls out and i'm not talking about a pocket knife i'm talking about this big it's probably 12 inches long big blade sticking out no cover nothing you know so uh, i reach over and pick up the knife and get ready to wave it to say whose knife is this somebody dropped their knife <laughs> <laughs> and uh and one of them just grabs my hand and sets it down and say no dude that's not how it works so he puts the knife back under the jacket and uh, as he's walking off, he goes, hey, somebody's jacket's over there on the bench. Just to let somebody know, you better move whatever's under your jacket, you know. I mean, that was just a couple of stories. It was tons of things I needed to learn, you know, just to be a part of that community. Um, and I think that's one of the things that really, I don't know exactly how to articulate this, but intrigued me because at the time, at that time in my life, if you would have asked me, you know, Jeff, are you a humble person, right? I would have given, you know, the standard answer. Well, of course I'm a humble person. Mm-hmm. Not having a fucking clue <laughs> uh, what humility was. And and I don't know if I recognize, I don't know at what point I connected the dots of knowing your background. Here's this guy that's that literally is a fucking rocket scientist, and these guys have no clue who they're talking to, nor did you want them to have oh, a right, clue. Right. And your willingness, your capacity, your whatever that was to submit to understanding their way of life and and approaching that with your engineer-esque mm-hmm. attention. I, I just remember, and I still, and it's funny because I just, I vividly can remember it, the, I don't know, the kinship, the love, the whatever, oh, yeah. and particularly between you and Chet. Mm-hmm. And if, I remember having no doubts that if anyone even said a negative word about Greg Allen, Chet, could and would rip their motherfucking arms off. (laughs) And it just was so... That, believe it or not, was one of the lessons that I took away. Again, not really knowing what that Mm -hmm. was, Mm -hmm. but then seeing you do that, 
gave me a profound tool to be a therapist. Mm. Keep your fucking mouth shut. Assume that you understand nothing. You know nothing. Like, let them tell their story. And I, I don't think that most people... When people think of Jeff Stuckey, the first thing they think of is not humility. Um, and maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I don't know. But I know you taught me what true humility is. That, you know, it's not about it's not about walking around in meekness. It's not about it's not about anything else other than setting aside anything that you think you know and understand and fully committing to understanding the other. And and I just remember, again, I can vividly remember that mm-hmm. almost visible connection between you and Chet. That's just what was my observation, probably because he was so freakishly huge. <laughs> um, but I just, I, I remember, I just vividly remember that imprinting something on me that really impacted the my capacity to do the things that I mm-hmm, do today. Mm-hmm. Wow, that, that's awesome. That's, and no, it is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, the one yeah, telling yeah. you, yeah, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you got married. Yeah. And uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so that was wonderful and has been wonderful. And as our listeners know, I am not afraid of my wife. You are not afraid. <laughs> So uh, yeah, that was that was great. Um, my wife had a daughter when we got married, so I immediately had a um, a child that I love and took on as my own. You know, I don't really know the difference anymore. And um, and as you know, because we came to see you as a counselor, three months later we adopted two teenage girls. <laughs> that's pretty standard life plan, huh? Yeah, that's how everybody does it. I mean, any any book that you read on how to cultivate a successful relationship, that's the blueprint. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, it was a blessing, you know, it, it's just wonderful um, to have the, the two um, older girls live with us, you know, uh, I say live with us, it became part of our family immediately. It took a little bit, you know, to make that work. Um, and I can remember you, uh, we actually came to you a few times to get some counseling help. <laughs> I might have mentioned this before, but we thought it was for our daughter. You know, here's our middle daughter, she's got some issues. And you're like, Mm, no, she's doing what she's supposed to do. <laughs> you guys need to be parents. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I think, I think it worked out. Okay, you know? good. Yeah. We had, <laughs> there was one time you told me that, uh, you said, Greg, and, and you're, I'm, I know your voice from telling me that when your, uh, clinical instructor told you this and you told it to me, he said, Greg, control is an illusion. <laughs> Freedom is reality. Control is an illusion. Yeah. And so uh, I, the next week I said, no, Jeff, <laughs> control is when I locked down my daughter, which the last 18 months of her life, she was on uh, house arrest. <laughs> I said, what the illusion was, Jeff, is that she was spending the night with her friend <laughs> because the friend's mom didn't know where they were. <laughs> so we were able to find them. But that was the illusion. Right. The, the control part happened the 18 months following that, which she turned out great, you know. I mean, and we were actually, we were just talking about that story uh, uh, earlier in the week about how she, do you remember that time we told you we were going to stay at Megan's and Megan said she was going to stay there and all that, you know. And apparently they did that a lot because one of the times they, they weren't, um, they weren't real clever sometimes. And so they got the stories a little bit backwards and they had told too many parents that they were somewhere else. So they had no place to stay. <laughs> oh, they burnt so, their bridge. Yeah. yeah so you gotta they be careful there. They end up sleeping in the car that night Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then locking themselves out of the car. So they're freezing outside the car. Oh, wow. That and is. not being able to come home to get a spare key, having to call a locksmith. I mean, pretty much a, a bust of a night, you know, that I never knew about till, you know, years later. And they probably never did it again. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Fuck this, man. This was like yeah. uh, parenting note, natural consequences. Let them do the work for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I always have, I have conversations now, you know, cause most kids are like, fuck reality. I'm moving back home and parents can't get them off their couch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> they'll say to their parents like, fine, I'm just leaving. And, uh, 
the parent will say, well, I don't want them to be out on the street. And I'm like, how far do you think they're going to go? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you think they're going to like, just keep walking to the coast? (laughs) Like you, do you, what part of your brain thinks that your kid is prepared for street survival mm-hmm. and what what do you think is going on out in the streets like some kind of post-apocalyptic like if your kid says i'm leaving pack their fucking bags yeah, man yeah, like yeah. oh let me help do you want a sandwich before you go because i don't want you to get hungry on your long journey to the end of the block <laughs> yeah yeah anyway yeah sorry that's a whole we probably need to edit that part, but it just kind of got me going. <laughs> I see so, that. Uh, okay, so give us um, any other details about Greg Allen that uh, we need to know. Hmm. Yeah, well, just this the uh, last part of life, <laughs> the fourth quarter. Uh, yes. Uh, game plan is to uh, to give back you know that's what i when i taught classes in the inner city that was one of the things you know teach guys to have basic tools for living guys and gals um but then it seemed like contribution to society was uh was the thing that sealed it up you know you have to be giving back you know and so i I feel like i put effort into that you know throughout my uh life but uh but now that's what i want the, the key to it to be you know where can i be useful to other guys, you know, um, to, to share information, not like I know everything, but like, at least I can show you what I did wrong <laughs> and maybe we can ask some questions. I, I used to always tell my daughters, uh, this may not be true anymore, but I used to tell them I've made more mistakes than you've made decisions. So at least let me give you my input and then you go try and make a different, better mistake, right. you know? So, uh, so hopefully that did some good. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, that's it. This, um, the whole idea of getting in touch with men and engaging with the issues that they have, um, that's on my heart now, you know, which is part of the reason of the book is to show here's some guys that have had successes and how do we look for successes in everyone's life. And then the man-made courses, um, you know, that, that's to guide a guy through it. It's more intimate than a course, but at least the material is there. Right. But the connection with you and I really you know, can solidify the growth. And I will tell you listeners that he has some fucking awesome drunk stories that he <laughs> no, no, no. doesn't like to tell. Can you tell the uh, one about, come on, the earth mover thing or whatever that was? Oh no. No. <laughs> what trying to get that thing started. And yeah. <laughs> see, that's the th- That's when I realized it had to stop, you know, cause I it, don't know. Could it like, let, 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 let our listeners decide. I, you know, it, it starts out just thinking I'm going to help a buddy. Like I've gotten fired from more volunteer jobs than well, I've never gotten fired from a real job, you know, but volunteer jobs I get fired from. I was helping a guy chop wood, you know, we're just splitting wood. And then after a while we're drinking this whole time, you know, and, uh, and we realized, well, there's a whole stack of wood already split here <laughs> that the guy that owned the property had already split. We go, forget this. We're just going to take all this split wood, you know? And, well, you know, here's a big piece of equipment. I don't know what you even call it, a front-end loader or something. It was gigantic. Well, let's just use that. We'll pick all this stuff up. And uh, he goes, well, I can get it started. Well, let's go. <laughs> now, the good thing is we didn't get it started, uh. you know. See, in my mind, you had gotten it started. Yeah, no, we didn't get it started, but it, it, it didn't end there. We, we tried to leave, and uh, and we, we go the—I don't know what town we were in, but we go the wrong direction. I mean, we were in near Cleveland, Ohio. I mean, we started not far from there, but—and we went, oh, man, this was the wrong way. We've been driving for an hour and a half. So he slams on the brake, brakes, and the, the trailer comes around, you know, and it bends it. <laughs> all right, we got to leave all this wood here, <laughs> And, uh, and then we're going home, and the police stops us and says, you guys, you don't, you're not from here. You know, what are you doing? Oh, we're just trying to get home, sir, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that, that conversation didn't go well until the part where he said, well, if you'll keep driving straight and cross that line right there, I'm going to turn around and go back to my county. It's like, oh, dude, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> we understand that part. Yeah. All right, so we'll unpack more of those stories later on. Um, but uh, thank you for one uh, sharing mm-hmm. that which has made you you mm-hmm. uh, once and for all definitively answering the question of being a rocket scientist 
Uh, I wonder if Dave Matthews would let us like play down on the bayou when we introduce you. Maybe that would more likely. Yeah, I'll have Justin pursue. I mean, Dave seems like a good guy, right? Like, hey, Dave, you know what's up? Think we could (laughs) use this song? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Anyway, as always, listeners, we appreciate you taking time out. Hope that this has been useful. If you want more information, you can find us on Facebook at Becoming Man Made Today. And we're also on Instagram, uh, Becoming Man Made. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And then the. I don't uh, even know what that means, but. Yeah, me neither. We got people for that. Okay. And. Uh, like, what do you do on Instagram? Like, what? Is I, I think people talk in 140 words or less. Yeah, I don't get yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, but we're that, on there. That wouldn't so work if you know how you. to do it, check us out on Insta. And uh, if you get on the website, becomingmanmade.com, then. Uh, there's ways to get in touch with you and I through that or just to learn more. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you for listening. Next week, Greg gets his driving privileges back mm-hmm. and I will be in the shotgun position and the world will be as it should. See you then. Mm-hmm.